0: Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineosh Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Third part of Chapter 86, Multiple Hypothesis Testing. Moody's grin was more like a snarl. Three in the morning
1: work for you, Albus. Lockhart should be at his home tonight.
0: Harry listened to this with increasing alarm, wondering if even the Ministry had any rules about magistrates needing to issue warrants, never mind the illegal vigilante organization Harry now seemed to have joined. Excuse me, what exactly happens at three in the morning? There must have been something in Harry's voice that gave him away because the scarred man whirled on him. You have a problem with that boy? Harry paused, trying to figure out how to phrase this to the stranger.
1: You want to take him down yourself? Get revenge for your parents,
0: eh? No, Harry said as politely as he could. Honestly, look, if we knew for certain he was a willing host of you-know-who, that's one thing. But if we're not sure and you're heading off to kill him... Kill, Mad-Eye Moody snorted. It's what's locked up in his head that we need from him, boy. Moody tapped his forehead. If we're lucky,
1: Voldy can't wipe the sucker's memories as easy as in his living days, and Lockhart will remember what the
0: Horcrux looked like. Harry mentally noted down the word Horcrux for future research. I'm just worried that someone innocent, what sounds like a pretty decent person if he did do all that himself, might be about to get hurt.
1: Horrors hurt people. Bad people, if you're lucky. Some days you won't be lucky, and that's all there is to it. Just remember, dark wizards hurt a lot
0: more people than we do. Harry took a deep breath. Can you at least try not to hurt this person, in case he's not? What is a first year
1: doing in this room, Albus?
0: Demanded the scarred man, now whirling to face the headmaster. And don't tell me it's for what he did when he was a baby.
1: Harry Potter is not an ordinary first year. He has already accomplished feats impossible enough to shock even me, Alistair. His is the only intellect in the Order which might someday match that of Voldemort himself, as you or I never could.
0: The scarred man leaned over the headmaster's desk.
1: He's a liability. Naive. Doesn't know a bloody thing about what war's like. I want him out of here and all his memories of the Order are wiped before one of Voldy's servants plucks him straight out of his mind.
0: I'm an Aquamans, actually. mad Moody directed a narrow look at the headmaster, who nodded. And then the scarred man turned to face Harry, their gazes meeting. The sudden fury of the legilimency attack almost made Harry fall off his chair as a blade of white-hot steel cut into the imaginary person at the forefront of his mind. Harry hadn't had a chance to practice since Mr. Bester's training, and Harry very nearly lost his grip on the imaginary person the back of his mind was pretending to be, as that person's world turned into searing lava and a furious probe of questions. Harry almost lost his grip on only pretending to hallucinate only pretending to be the imaginary person that was screaming in shock and pain as the legilimency tore apart his sanity and reshaped him to believe that he was on fire. Harry managed to break eye contact, dropping his eyes to Moody's chin.
1: You're out of practice, boy.
0: Harry wasn't looking at the man's face, but his voice was deadly grim. And
1: I'll warn you of this but once. Voldy isn't like any other legilimens in recorded history. He doesn't need to look you in the eyes. And if your shields are that rusty, he creeps in so softly you never notice a thing.
0: Duly noted, Harry said to the scarred chin. Harry was more shaken than he'd have admitted. Mr. Bester hadn't been anywhere near that powerful and had never tested Harry like that. Pretending to be someone hurting that much had... Harry couldn't find words for describing what it felt like to contain an imaginary person in that much pain. But it hadn't been normal. Do I get any credit for being an Aquaman's in the first place? So
1: you think you're all grown up already, eh? Look me in the eyes.
0: Harry strengthened his shields and looked once more into the dark grey eye and the brilliant blue. Ever watched someone die? My parents... I recovered the memory in January when I went in front of a Dementor to learn the Patronus charm. I remember you know whose voice... A chill went through Harry's body, his wand twitching in his hand. My main tactical report is that You-Know-Who could speak the Killing Curse in less than half a second, but you probably already knew that. There was a gasp from Professor McGonagall's direction, and Severus's face had tightened. Alright... A strange, thin grin twisted up the lips within the scarred face.
1: I'll make you the same offer I'd make any trainee or Land one touch on me, boy. One hit, one spell, and I'll concede your right to talk back to me.
0: Alistair! exclaimed Professor McGonagall's voice. Surely that's an unreasonable test. Mr. Potter, whatever his other merits, does not have a hundred years of fighting experience. Harry's eyes made a lightning dart around the room, passing over the peculiar devices, glancing past Dumbledore and Severus and the Sorting Hat, settling briefly here and there. Harry couldn't see Professor McGonagall from where he was, but that didn't matter. There was only one device he'd really wanted to look at, and the point of all the other glances had just been to conceal which one. All righty, Harry said and hopped off his chair ignoring Professor McGonagall's inhalations and the Potions Master's snort of disbelief. Dumbledore's eyebrows had lifted, and Moody was grinning like a tiger. Be sure to wake me up in forty minutes if he does get me. Harry settled into a duelist starting stance, his wand held low. Let's go then. Harry opened his eyes, his head feeling like it had been stuffed with cotton wool. Everyone else was gone from the Headmaster's office, the flue fire dimmed. Only Dumbledore still waited behind the desk. Hello, Harry, the Headmaster said quietly. I didn't even see him move, Harry marveled, muscles creaking as he sat up. You were standing two paces away from Alistair Moody, and you took your eyes off his wand. Harry nodded as he took the Cloak of Invisibility out of his pouch. I mean, I was taking the dueling stance so that he'd think I was a standard idiot and underestimate me, but I have to admit, that was impressive. So, you planned it all along, Harry? Of course. Note how I'm doing this as soon as I wake up, rather than pausing to think of it. Harry drew the hood of the cloak over his head and glanced back up at the wall clock he'd surreptitiously glanced at earlier. It had then shown around 23 minutes after 8. And now, it was five minutes after nine. Minerva stared as the boy put himself into the dueling stance, his wand held low. For a second, Minerva wondered if Harry might possibly... No. That was completely ridiculous. It was Mad-Eye Moody, and that was beyond impossible. Of course, that was what she'd thought about his partial transfiguration, too. Let's go, then, Harry said, and fell over. Severus gave a single chuckle.
1: Mr. Potter has his points, I must confess, though I would never say it while he was awake. And if you repeat the words, I shall deny them, for the boy's ego is quite large enough already. Mr. Potter does have his points, Mad-Eye, but dueling is not among them.
0: Mad-Eye's own chuckle was lower and grimmer. "'Oh, yes.
1: Only fools duel, Standing like that and waiting for me to attack. What was the boy thinking? Why, I ought to give him a scar to remember this occasion.'"
0: Alistair barked Albus, just as she cried. "'Stop!' Severus dashed forward, and Mad-Eye Moody deliberately leveled his wand on Harry Potter's body. "'Stupefy!' Mad-Eye's body seemed to almost flicker as he spun on his wooden foot like lightning, faster than she'd ever seen anyone move without magic. The red stunning hex passing through the suddenly empty air and barely missing Severus to crash into the opposite wall. And by the time her eyes jerked back to Moody, there were 17 radiant orbs in the pattern of a Sagita Magica, visible for only an instant before they streaked brilliance and struck something that fell to the floor with a thud. Hello
1: again, Harry.
0: I cannot believe that guy's reaction time, Harry said, brushing off his cloak as he stood up from where he'd been lying invisible on the floor, unseen by his previous self. I can't believe his movement speed either. I'm going to have to figure out some way to zap him without speaking an incantation that gives it away. and then mad ducked hard and fast, his hands hitting flat on the floor. She almost didn't see the two tiny white threads passing through the space he'd been, but her eyes went to the blue spark when the threads impacted on one of the headmaster's devices, and by the time she managed to turn her eyes back, Mad-Eye had spun smoothly up to his feet. His wand was dancing unseeably fast, and there was another thudding sound. Hello again, Harry. Pardon me, headmaster, but could you let me go down your stairs and then come back up again before I make the final jump backward? This is going to take longer than one hour of preparation. Minerva gaped at Mad-Eye Moody, who hadn't lowered his wand in the slightest, and Severus had a look on his face that was almost like shock.
1: Well, boy. What else have you
0: got? Harry Potter's head appeared, floating in midair as an invisible hand drew back the hood of his invisibility cloak. That eye, said Harry Potter. There was a strange, fierce light in the boy's eyes. That isn't any ordinary device. It can see right through my invisibility cloak. You dodged my transfigured taser as soon as I started raising it, even though I didn't speak any incantations. And now that I've watched it again, you spotted all my time-turned selves the moment you flew into this room, didn't you? Mad-Eye Moody was smiling, the same teeth-bared grin she'd seen him wear as they'd faced off against Voldemort himself.
1: Spend a hundred years hunting dark wizards and you see everything. I once arrested a young Japanese who tried a similar trick. He found out the hard way that his shadow replica technique was no match for this eye of mine.
0: You see in all directions, Harry Potter said, that strange fierce light still in his gaze. No matter where that eye is pointing, it sees everything around you. Moody's tiger grin grew wider.
1: There's no more of you in this room now. Think that's because you'll give up after this time, or because you'll win? Any bets, boy?
0: It's my final attempt because I decided to stake my last three hours on one shot. As for whether I win... There was a blur filling the whole air of the headmaster's office. Mad-Eye Moody leapt to one side with blinding speed, and an instant later Harry's head darted backward as he cried, "Stupefy!" Three shimmers in the air went past Harry's moving head, just as a red bolt erupted from Harry's location, shooting past Moody as he dodged in yet another direction. If she'd blinked, she would have missed it. The red bolt making an angled turn in midair and slamming into Moody's ear. Moody fell. Harry Potter's floating head dropped to the height of a first year on their hands and knees, then dropped further to the ground, his face showing sudden exhaustion. What in Merlin's name just...
1: So you went to Flitwick then?
0: The retired orer was now sitting in a chair, drinking long draughts from a restorative in a bottle he'd taken off his belt. Harry Potter nodded, now sitting in his own chair instead of perched on an armrest. I tried the defense professor first, but... the boy grimaced. He... wasn't available. Well, I'd decided it was worth risking five house points, and if you say a risk is worth it, you can't complain when you have to pay up. Anyway... I figured that if you had an eye that saw things other people couldn't see, then as Isaac Asimov pointed out in Second Foundation, the weapon to use is a brilliant light. Read enough science fiction, you know, and you'll read everything at least once. Anyway, I told Professor Flitwick that I needed a charm that would make a huge number of shapes, bright and flickering and filling the whole office, but invisible so only your eye could see them. I had no idea what it would even mean to cast an illusion and then make it invisible, but I figured if I didn't mention that out loud, Professor Flitwick would just do it anyway, and he did. Turns out there was no spell like that I could cast myself, but Flitwick charmed me a one-time device for it, though I had to persuade him that it wasn't cheating, since nothing could possibly be cheating against an Auror who'd lived long enough to retire. And then, I still didn't see how I could hit you when you were moving that fast. So I asked about targeted spells, and that was when Flitwick showed me that hex I cast at the end, the Swerving Stunner. It's one of Professor Flitwick's own inventions. He's a champion duelist as well as a charms master. I know that, son. Sorry. Anyway, the professor says he left the dueling circuit before he got a chance to use that spell, since it only works as a finishing move on an unshielded opponent. The hex gets as close to the target as possible along its original trajectory, and then once it detects that the target is getting more distant again, the hex turns in midair and heads straight for the target. It can only swerve once, but the incantation sounds very close to stupefy, and the hex is the same red color, so if the enemy thinks it's a regular stunning hex and tries a normal dodge, that midair retargeting will finish them off. Oh, and the professor requested that none of us talk about his special move just in case he does get a chance to use it during competition someday. But... Professor McGonagall glanced at Mad-Eye Moody, who was nodding his approval, and at Severus, who was keeping his face decidedly blank. Mr. Potter, you just stunned Mad-Eye Moody, the most famous dark wizard hunter in the history of the Auror Office. That should have been impossible. Moody let out a dark chuckle. What's your answer
1: to that one, kid? I'm curious.
0: Well, first of all, Professor McGonagall, neither of us were fighting seriously. Neither of you? Of course. In a serious fight, Mr. Moody would have dropped all my copies immediately without waiting for them to attack. And on my side, if it was actually necessary to take down the most famous aura in the history of the office, I'd get Headmaster Dumbledore to do it for me. And beyond that... Since that wasn't a real fight... Harry paused. How can I put this? Wizards are used to duels where people fight back and forth with spells for a while. But if two muggles with guns stand in a small room and fire bullets at each other, then whoever hits first wins. And if one of them is deliberately missing his shots, giving the other person one chance after another, like Mr. Moody gave me one chance after another... Well, you'd have to be pretty pathetic to lose. Oh, not that pathetic, Moody said with a slightly threatening grin. Harry didn't seem to notice. You might say that Mr. Moody was testing me to see if I would try to fight him or try to win. That is, whether I'd carry out the role of somebody fighting, use standard spells I already knew, even though I didn't expect the consequences of that action to be victory or if I'd searched through unusual plans until I found something that could win. Like the difference between a student who sits in class because that's what students do, versus a student who cares enough to ask themselves what it takes to actually learn a piece of material, and practices however necessary. You see, Professor McGonagall? When you look at it that way, realize that Mr. Moody was giving me chances, and that I shouldn't attack in the first place unless I think I can win... Then I don't come out looking so well, since it actually took me three tries to get him. Plus, like I said, in a real fight, Mr. Moody could have turned himself invisible, or put up shields.
1: Don't go relying too much on shields, boy.
0: The leather-clad orer took another sip from his restorative flask.
1: What you learn in your first year at the Academy doesn't stay true forever, not against the strongest dark wizards. Every shield ever made, there's some curse that goes straight through it if you're not quick enough to cast a counter. And there's one curse that goes through everything, and it's a curse any death Eater will use.
0: Harry Potter nodded gravely. Right, some spells are impossible to block. I'll remember that in case anyone casts the killing curse at me. Again.
1: That kind of cleverness gets people killed, boy. And don't you forget it.
0: A sad-sounding sigh from the boy who lived. I know. Sorry.
1: So, son, you had something to say about when Albus and I go after Lockhart?
0: Harry opened his mouth, then paused. I won't tell you how to run a war, the boy who lived said eventually. I don't have any experience at that. All I know is that there are consequences. Please be advised that my own assessment is that Lockhart is probably innocent, so if you can avoid hurting him without too much risk... The boy shrugged. I don't know the cost. Just, please, if you can, be careful not to hurt him if he's innocent. If I can. And, you're aiming to look through his mind for evidence about the Dark Lord, aren't you? I don't know what the rules are in Magical Britain about admissible evidence, but everyone's always guilty of breaking some law or another. There's just too many laws. So if it's not about the Dark Lord, don't turn him into the Ministry. Just obliviate him and go, okay? Moody frowned.
1: Son, nobody gains power that fast without being up to
0: something. Then leave it for the ordinary Aurors, if and when they find evidence the ordinary way. Please, Mr. Moody, call it a quirk of my muggle upbringing, but if it's not about the war, I don't want us to be the evil police who break into people's houses in the middle of the night, rummage through their minds, and send them off to Azkaban.
1: I don't see the sense of it, son, but I suppose I could do you the favor.
0: Is there aught else, Alistair? Inquired Albus.
1: Yes, about that defense professor of yours.
0: Hypothesis, Gildroy Lockhart. End. Hypothesis, Dumbledore. April 9th, 1992. 5.32 5:32 p.m. As Professor Quirrell slowly raised up his tea, the teacup jerked in midair, sending the dark, translucent liquid just barely slopping over the side, so that only three single drops crawled down the side of the teacup. Harry would have missed it if he hadn't happened to be watching closely, for Professor Quirrell's hand was perfectly steady on the cup before and after. If that small, jerky motion advanced to a constant tremor, it would be the end of any non-wandless magic for the defense professor. Wand work had no room for trembling fingers. How much that would actually handicap Professor Quirrell, if at all, Harry couldn't guess. The defense professor was certainly capable of wandless magic, yet still tended to use a wand for larger things. But for him, that might only be a convenience. "'Insanity,' said Professor Quirrell as he carefully sipped from his tea. He was looking at the teacup, not at Harry, which was unusual for him. "'Can be a signature all its own.' The defense professor's office was silent, the sound-warded room quiet in a way the headmaster's office never could be. Sometimes the two of them both happened to finish exhaling or inhaling at the same time. And then there was an auditory emptiness that was almost a sound in itself. I'll agree with that in one sense. If somebody tells me that everyone is staring at them and that their underwear is being dusted with thought-controlling powder, I know they're psychotic, because that's the standard signature of psychosis. But if you tell me that anything confusing points to Albus Dumbledore as a suspect, that seems... overreaching. Just because I can't see a purpose doesn't mean there is no purpose. Purposeless? Oh, but the madness of Dumbledore is not that he is purposeless, but that he has too many purposes. The Headmaster might have planned this to make Lucius Malfoy throw away his game for vengeance on you. Or it might be a dozen other plots. Who knows what the Headmaster thinks he has reason to do when he has found reason to do so many strange things already. Harry had politely declined tea, even knowing that Professor Quirrell would know what it meant. He'd considered bringing his own can of soda, but had decided against that as well, after realizing how easy it would be for the defense professor to teleport in a bit of potion, even if the two of them couldn't touch each other with direct magic. "'I have seen a little now of Dumbledore!' Unless everything I have seen is a lie, I find it difficult to believe that he would plot to send any Hogwarts student to Azkaban. Ever. Ah, the defense professor said softly, the tiny reflection of the teacup gleaming in his pale eyes. But that is another signature, Mr. Potter. You have not yet comprehended the perspective of a man like Dumbledore. If he must in some sufficiently noble cause, sacrifice a student? Why, who would he choose but she who declared herself a heroine? That gave Harry some pause. It might just be hindsight bias, but that did seem to concentrate some of that hypothesis' probability mass onto framing Hermione in particular. Similarly, Professor Quirrell had predicted in advance that Dumbledore might target Draco. But if it's you behind all this, Professor, you might have shaped your plans to frame the headmaster and taken care to cast suspicion on him in advance. The concept of evidence had something of a different meaning when you were dealing with someone who had declared themselves to play the game at... One level higher than you. I see your point, Professor, Harry said evenly, giving no hint of his other thoughts. So you think it most probable that it was the headmaster who framed Hermione? Not necessarily, Mr. Potter. Professor Quirrell drained his teacup in one swallow and then set it down, the cup making a sharp rap as it descended. There is also Severus Snape, though what he might think to gain from this I could not guess. Thus, he is not my prime suspect either. Then who is? Harry said, somewhat puzzled. Professor Quirrell surely wasn't about to reply, you know who. The Aurors have a rule. Investigate the victim. Many would-be criminals imagine that if they are the apparent victims of a crime, they shall not be suspected. So many criminals imagine it, indeed, that every senior Auror has seen it a dozen times over. You're not seriously trying to convince me that Hermione the defense professor was giving Harry one of those slit-eyed looks that meant he was being stupid. Draco? Draco had been interrogated under veritaserum, but Lucius might have had enough control to subvert Aurors to oh. You think Lucius Malfoy set up his own son? End third part of chapter 86. Thank you to the following people. mad Moody. James. Dumbledore. Drake Walker. Minerva McGonagall. Read by Autumn Rachel Dryden.
1: Severus Snape by Brian
0: Jones. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for the fourth part of Chapter 86, Multiple Hypothesis Testing.